And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. Welcome to The Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff here with John Penn for your Financial Fitness Friday edition. Rich is unfortunately out today. He's working on his impersonations for a Saturday Night Live debut. So I'm sure he'll have much for us here in the near future. Markets, pretty good week so far this week. Earnings um, have been hit or miss, um, but we are seeing futures or NASDAQ's futures are down a bit. Dow's up. We'll see what today brings. Yesterday's a little bit of a volatile day as uh, we saw things bounce around quite a bit, but did see uh, bounce off the 50-day moving average, which is kind of uh, maybe gives a little bit of confidence or comfortable uh, for people to put a little money to work. However, I do maybe think we need to hope be going into the weekend. Maybe a little hope. We'll see how today plays out. Yields have, have been dropping. You know, it's interesting. I've been watching the two and ten, which is really note, uh, something that most people follow quite a bit. And you know, we've seen there's been about uh, a twenty percent, or excuse me, a twenty basis point spread between the two. You know, ten year was at, at about three percent, with the uh, two at about three point two. And now we've seen them both drop, with the ten at two point eight and the the uh, two at. 3%. So kind of interesting to watch, see how these things materialize as things continue to move. Um, today, we're going to get an S&P Global U.S. Manufacturing PMI um, and then Global Services PMI. So not a whole lot of data. We do have earnings out this morning. Twitter, American Express, Verizon, HCA Healthcare, Sunbrasay Regions, and Cleveland Cliffs. So we'll see what happens here. Next week, I think it's going to be a big week. We have GDP numbers coming out, then obviously everybody's eyes are on the Fed. What does the Fed do? I think they've been really uh, kind of letting everybody know it's going to be about a 75 basis point hike. Um, you know, we're beginning to see a lot of different data. You know, everybody keeps wondering, are we in a recession? Have we hit a bottom? And I think we can make an argument that we likely maybe have not quite hit that bottom yet because we haven't seen that capitulation that we typically see. Um, now, in May of this year, people were beginning to Google, and that was one of the more Googled uh, trends, has been capitulation. Yet, I don't think we've seen people sell quite yet. Lance has talked about where people, you know, historically, they're, they're moving out, and, you know, you've been waiting for the Fed to come, in, to come to the rescue, and maybe that occurs, maybe it doesn't. Um, it'll be one of those things to keep your eyes on. As we see data, you know, everybody's keeping inflation. You know, that's, it's not in the rearview mirror. It is still certainly here. And I think that's what's on the top of everybody's mind, not to mention rising rates. How far does that go? We could make an argument, though, if if we are beginning to peak and everybody continues to discuss a recession. You know, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. We've talked about, you know, where, you know, CEOs are beginning to cut back. We're beginning to see uh, share buybacks are starting to halt a little bit. Um, you know, no more hiring, potentially uh, layoffs. You know, we begin to hear more and more about that. I feel like each and every week, John, we're hearing that, you know, there's a major corporation saying, hey, we're either slowing down or we're going to start looking at headcount and, and looking at it a little differently. Now, we've thought, because you, you look at all the jobs that are out there and for the, the lack of people that are looking, I mean, there's two jobs for every job seeker at the moment. And it's, it's interesting because this may be different in the sense that we don't just see this whole blue-collar, middle-class type of layoff. It may be a little more pinpointed in the sense that we've had, you know, coming out of the pandemic – it's been difficult to keep people. I mean, if people have used this to, uh, you know, they're, they're, things are different as far as what's important. You know, people want that flexibility of a hybrid schedule or working from home. Um, you know, you hear of all these different 
different types of strategies that corporations are now having to employ just to keep people happy. Now, who it's really hitting is small businesses. A new small business survey says, you know, 50% of small businesses are concerned they may not make it through 2022. I mean, you, you know, all those things that we've discussed, the rising cost of, uh, of uh, interest rates and the borrowing money, the inflation, people wanting to be paid more. Now, we have seen an increase in wage growth, just not as substantial as what everybody would would really like here. Yes. And you know that's it's tough to keep it to keep things in perspective, and it's getting tougher and tougher. I think for people to pay their bills. It is. I was talking with a with a gentleman yesterday who's a small business owner, and he said, "John, you know my input costs have gone up five x, just just from the cost of the of the goods and just what they need to to manufacture what they make." And there's only so long you can you can absorb those those higher costs before you need to make some changes. And you know they want to keep their people, and they you know they're trying to look at everything they can do to, to kind of cut costs, to make things work. But to your point, they're concerned too. You know how how long can they survive when their input costs of you know they're up five x? I mean that's that's a significant number. Well, and if you look at you look at all these small businesses, restaurants. I mean, I've shared that you know went to the neighborhood restaurant and think, wow, they got new menus. Oh no, it was because they were raising their prices. Um, <laughs> I had I had lunch with my father yesterday, and he said, uh, "It's funny because he's always really intuitive, and he asks a lot of questions." And he said, uh, "Hey, so how much does it cost you to make this meal?" And the guy kind of looks at him, and he's like, "It's probably something you need to figure out." And he, did, he the guy didn't know. And now a lot of them do. And you know, there's computer software out there. I mean, there's so many different ways to you can you can kind of extract that and understand what your costs are. And I, and I have a feeling he probably knew, but he didn't want to say because. You know the markup in these things is is probably pretty nice, but at the end of the day, I think it's still hard for a lot of people to make a living. Yeah, and even you were talking about restaurants, though. And I, I mean, we go out as a family, maybe one time a week. Just it's just you know, just from a schedule standpoint, it's hard to do. Plus, it is I've noticed it's it's just become incredibly expensive. Even going down to the lo- local burger joint, let's go yeah. grab some burgers, whatever it may be. I mean, the the price is like really is that what I just paid for some for some burgers? Uh, there may have been a cold refreshment in there maybe just saying anyway but all the restaurants are still packed yeah i've noticed it's still full of people full of families and and, you know families with two three kids i mean it's just you just know it's affecting their pocketbook well people think that we're completely broke when we go out and we may be but uh you know we we share meals the kids share a kid's meal and usually i mean they come in such big portions john i mean it's that's true i'm very fortunate that my wife isn't a, a big eater yeah and and the portions around here, you're right. They're huge. It's like, well, what what size chicken fried steak would you like? The small or the large? I say, oh, we'll do the small, and it's the size of a dinner plate. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. So we'll we'll, we'll typically share too. So we found that there's 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 one restaurant. I'm not going to name the name because I don't want them to change their policy. But <laughs> we we can split a salad, and they've been really good about not adding on that. You know, splitting the you know to split a meal that extra surcharge, and uh, I think it's the actual same size. It's their regular meal, but they bring it in two portions. So, yeah, you know, don't 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 say the name of the place on the air. Afterwards, I'll let you know give me the hookup on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But people are doing more and more to try to understand and, and really make it a, a more conscious effort on their finances. So, we're going to talk a little bit about, a bit about that today. Some of the hacks that you can do. What are things that you can do to keep more money in your pocket? Uh, also, you're getting a lot of questions, John, about. Where, you know, at different stages of life or stages of, you know, your financial career, what do you do? Where Mm -hmm. do you put money? How do you invest in these different scenarios? I think it's interesting because, you know, I'm I'm getting a lot of younger people who are saying, hey, let's go all in right now. I'm I'm more prone to be uh, a lot more aggressive. And I think there there's some good things about that. But 
you know, a lot of people are trying to catch a falling knife, and that's where the difficult thing occurs here. And if you put all of your funds to work all at once, that can be problematic in the sense of you may have to ride this thing down and you may get really uncomfortable, may not have the skin for it. And that's where, you know, you can run into some issues. And the one thing we don't want to see people do is a lot of people will do that and then they get, they pull out. So, you know, we, we've told those stories of people where they, they do the complete opposite of what we know we should do, which is buy low, sell high. And it's a really difficult thing to do because emotionally we want to, we want to keep going when things are going well and continue to buy. But when things are low, we typically don't. Now, what happens if you continue to invest or you you put all the funds you've had on the sideline in and it continues to go down? Because what I'm afraid of, John, is that some of these people with no experience, they jump out mm-hmm. and then they don't get back in. They say, forget it. And I don't think that's the right thing either. So we're, we've got a lot to get to today. You're listening to Financial Fitness Friday, The Real Investment Show. We'll be right back after this quick break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to The Real Investment Show, Financial Fitness Friday edition. I'm Danny Ratliff here, John Penn, Certified Financial Planners. Hope everybody's off to a great start this Friday morning. You know, everybody's complaining about the heat. However, the National Weather Service has just issued instructions for Texans on how to bake lasagna in your mailbox. Ooh, that could work. <laughs> it could, it could. I mean, we're talking about food. Maybe we just do a food show today. I mean, we could do that. Why would that be different from any other Friday? That's, well, I'm sorry. There's there's no voices. <laughs> Janet Yellen is not here today. <laughs> you could probably cook on your dashboard, too. You leave your oh, vehicle yeah. out. You fry, fry some eggs on that. Right. Yeah. Heat up some leftover pizza. Probably make a pizza on your dashboard. My wife's car is black. Yeah. It's a Dutch oven on wheels. Yep, yep. That, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Put a little bacon on the hood. Yeah. Why not? So, you know, talking about, you know, hacks and things that you can do to save money. We've been getting a lot of questions on, you know, where do we go? What do we do? I mean, people are pulling back in many different ways. And I think one of the bigger things and kind of, segueing here off of food or, or maybe into more food is what do you tip John? And, and and then what do you tip like your Uber, your Lyft drivers or your, your people that are bringing you, I guess, Uber eats or, you know, I don't really do any of these. So I know I'm probably botching some names here, but um, you know, I think this is a big way that people can save money by understanding and maybe actually having some set rules surrounding that. We always talk about rules and things to kind of keep you in those, those guardrails. So you don't get veer too off too much off track. So what do you typically tip, John? I mean, how does that look for your family? Yeah, I'm 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 a 
I'm a good tipper. I, I can't help it. I, I like taking care of the people that take care of me. Yep, and I, I agree. And, I, and my wife is a big believer in that too, and she watches how I tip. And if I don't tip correctly she goes back or she'll start pulling ones out or it's something. over it's just like it's the i get the silent treatment on the way home it's like and i'll, and I'll say so what's going on and she'll look at me and she'll go i saw what you wrote down on that receipt i saw what you tipped so so i i, I typically tip pretty well and so i'm i'm over tipping probably the the uber drivers or the folks that deliver yeah. food and we don't we don't take up on that service very much now i will say we did last night the penthouse was without power. There was a certain part of Houston last night that had no power for a couple hours, and we just folded and we had food delivered to the door. And we typically tip somewhere in that fifteen percent range. Okay, That's of, not of too what the bad. meal is, fifteen twenty percent. But uh, but it's amazing that the the study here said that maybe you should really tip less, maybe you know four to six dollars, or putting some rules around that. Well, I think for a you know an Uber Eats, a DoorDash, right. Postmates, things like that. Those delivery drivers, now, granted, they're not making a ton of money doing this, but most people to side hustle or somebody starting off, right? And, you know, they're saying four to six bucks is pretty common. Yeah. Um, now, like, what do you do if somebody delivers you a $3 coffee? I mean, what does that look like? And is it even worth somebody's time? Now, I know a lot of these these services are going to have minimum requirements that you must meet. And these drivers typically make, what, 15 bucks an hour? Yeah. So I think tipping these people, and plus... If you don't want you don't want to not tip them, and then you know you get your food next time. Maybe somebody's spitting in it, or it looks a little different. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't tastes know. Tastes funny this yeah. time. You hear these horror stories, but uh, you know those those are things I think though that that are really important as far as understanding you know your finances, what's going on. Um, you know, when I was talking about my father going out to eat. He likes to go to places that you don't have to tip. What? Yeah. Well, he yeah very very deliberately. So he'll want to go somewhere where you can go to the counter, you can pick it up from the counter. Um, now, he does not to say he doesn't go out to eat other places, but he's mindful because he's like, well, hey, if I go out, you know, he, he probably eats out more than most, but he's like, if I eat out once or twice a day, because he's always on the road, he's like, that, that adds up quick. It does add up. Mm-hmm. But, even, but even places where you go and order from the counter, now they have that little screen that you turn around, yeah. and you can select your tip or a custom tip there. Well, the deli downstairs has got that. Yeah, I noticed that. So it's hard to... That's pretty impressive if he can find a place where you don't really have to tip much anymore. Well, you know, the best deal is you should bring your food. Like, come in here, like, to the office. I typically don't eat out. Yeah, I'm a leftover king. I, yeah. I, try, to eat as, I, I try to eat as many leftovers as I can during the week. And even our girls look at me and they're like, Dad, is that still good? I'm like, I think it is. <laughs> it's, only, it's only been in the fridge for two days. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. it's good. But, uh, but I, know, I you know, looking at tips, and I know recently we were just looking at what we pay for subscription services. Yeah. Like streaming services, right? And there are several, we identified just as a family, several subscription-based services that we really no longer use. And every little bit adds up. $10 here, $15 here, $25 there. And before you know it, you're saving $35, $40, maybe $50 a month. You know, especially right now with gas price, that's gas prices. That's huge. So just little things that you can do. I, I, you know, looking at how much you tip, you know, looking at subscriptions that maybe that you don't need. Just certain ways that you can kind of trim back some of the cost just with your overall budget. I know we just we just recently went through that exercise at our house. I know really exciting stuff. But every little bit helps. 
No, it, it does. And I think that people are, are saying, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling to make ends meet in many ways. You got people who are just out of college or entering the workforce or heck, maybe you've been there for a while and it's just a difficult time because these costs have become more expensive. But what do you do to, to kind of get ahead? And I think this is one of the bigger things that we need to keep, uh, you know, keep perspective on is that there are so many people out there that are struggling, you know, day to day. And where do you go? And so I think that you know, we always talk about the emergency reserve fund. Many people can't even create that. Um, the hierarchy of where you save, do you go to emergency reserve? Do you go to paying off debt? Do you go to the 401k? And I think it's always a little bit of both. But there's an interesting article out on CNBC, how somebody created a joy fund said to help them overcome their scarcity mindset and start building wealth. That's what the title of the article is. And, and I like the concept, and it's something we actually do. And so my, my wife and I, we have a rule that if it's something we can pay somebody to do, but we do it ourselves, we put that money in a savings account. Now, we also have a rule that X amount goes into, some, into an account where you, know, you, don't, you, you kind of guilt-free go out, and I'm not, you know, it's a small amount, but after everything else has been done, you guilt-free go out and you can say, okay, I want to go get that coffee. I don't feel so bad about it. Or I mm-hmm. want to go do this. No big deal. But everything else has to be in order first. So they talk about a bandwidth tax, which I think is pretty interesting. If, if you can actually tax yourself and you pull those funds out, which is really, it's a concept of paying yourself first. Everybody knows that. And so as your income continues to increase over time, or you get a bonus, put that, put those funds aside. Don't increase your cost of living. And that's the, probably one of the more difficult things to do. But John, what do you what do you think, and what do you see your clients doing that have been really successful? Just going back to kind of the basics right now, looking at just what they spend from one month to the next, like just what does it cost for them to, you know, keep food on the table, keep their lights on, keep fuel in vehicles, and they make sure no matter what that they have all of that taken care of first. And then yes, they they are focusing on building up their cash reserves, building up their savings. You know, maybe there's some expense items right now that they'd really like to, you know. You know, maybe it's a new fence in the backyard or it's a, it's a little bit of a renovation to the home and they're just waiting. They're waiting to see if they can get a better price. Or what I noticed too is, is especially with couples, you know, husbands, wives, you know, significant others, they're in it together and they're making decisions together and they have rules around this. That's so just like how you mentioned with your wife, you know, this, we don't go out and, and, and spend this extra money until we know everything else is covered. It seems like when both parties in that relationship are involved to some degree from that financial decision-making process, it, it, it always kind of tends to lean towards a more successful outcome. Correct. Yeah, and I think that's the key is that having those things and making sure that you guys are, are doing things in unison. If you're married and you, know, you have bad money habits, I mean, we talk about the, the reasons for divorce is typically infidelity and infidelity with money. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing where somebody's doing a lot of things on the side. They're, they have credit cards nobody knows about. And then all of a sudden somebody opens a bill. It's like, whoa, what happened here? And if you have a saver and a spender, that typically doesn't work real well. But hey, we're taking uh, your thoughts and comments on the YouTube channel, The Real Investment Show. Uh, a lot of good tips there. Uh, somebody mentioned that their barber's credit card reader provided suggested tips of 45%, 70 90 and 105%. I mean, talk about not giving much wiggle room there. Maybe, maybe you start time to start carrying cash again, John. Talk about taking a haircut. I had to. I just had to do it. Sorry. I know it was a bad dad joke. It's terrible. Sorry. <laughs> no, but it, but it's true. And so you know, but I think that you, you you make some really good points there. And so 
if you can understand, and you know, we talk about the four letter word, you guys hear it on Fridays way too often is the budget. Yeah. And, and I think if you think of it differently and you know, you pay yourself first, you understand where those funds are going, then you're not going to feel so bad about it. I also like the idea of a, a joy fund is, is called a GoFundMe. So create a GoFundMe for, you know, that additional spending. Yeah. Hey guys, I, I'd like to go do some fun stuff. Yeah. Go to your neighbors. Hey, by the way, I have this GoFundMe account. Just saying, if you want to put a little bit of money in there for but, but no, it, but it does come down to paying yourself first. You know, looking at budgets sometimes isn't really a fun exercise to do. But I, but the folks that you know that I've, I've noticed too that you visit with too, Danny, that that they have an idea about what they spend and where their money is going and what is that hierarchy. Are they going to put things in their savings account? Are they maxing out their four hundred one k plan? Or if they have a Roth four hundred one k option, you know, perhaps it makes sense to start turning on that faucet to make some after tax contributions there, maximize that, make sure you have plenty in your emergency funds. And so it is, it's a good exercise to go through just where are you paying yourself first just to make sure you're maximizing that first and foremost. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and Big Daddy, that's exactly why I cut my own hair. I don't have a whole lot. Uh, you know, so going back to the YouTube channel here, guys. So taking your comments, thoughts, suggestions, tip ideas. But you're right, the hierarchy. And that's a difficult thing because I think that what if, if you're really successful, you understand and you dive in and do a little bit of all of it. Right. Okay. Do you do you fund the HSA? Do you fund the retirement account to at least get the match? Don't leave any money on mm -hmm. the table, but at the same time, don't put everything in into the retirement before you have these other things addressed: the debt, the emergency funds, the financial vulnerability cushion, which I think we're going to need now more than ever. And I think it's going to give a lot of opportunity for you know one, if if let's say these inflation numbers are really they're they're really pressing you right now and it's tough to make those ends meet you have that backup that is there for these types of reasons but what if you do get that once in a lifetime opportunity to start buying things this is where you're going to be able to to really pounce on things and i think you're gonna have that great opportunity and when that wins at your back it's a heck of a lot better feeling than what you're dealing with at the moment so you listen to the real investment show we're going to talk about what does it look like to vrbo your pool we'll get right back you listen to the real investment show financial fitness friday We'll see you in just a moment. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com inflation touches every aspect of your life no one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation ria advisors is a nine-step inflation battle plan and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn thursday august 4th at noon register now at realinvestmentadvice.com there's no magic elixir against inflation our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects register today at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com the Real Investment Show. Welcome back to The Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff here with John Penn. Talked a lot about inflation, what it's doing to households. And on August 4th, we're going to be talking about Inflation Nation, a nine-step battle plan and things you can do 
How do you create that micro budget for maximized cash flow? Should you postpone Social Security? That's a big one. I think that that's something we always talk about. Then how do you renegotiate credit card rates? John, you've talked a little bit about credit cards and the impact. I mean, we're seeing credit card rates at, a, at highs once again. The average credit card is what, at 21%, 22? Yeah, a little over, yeah, somewhere between 21 to 22%, just, just the average credit card interest rate. And for, you know, depending on how you use it and if it's for, you know, cash advances are going to be, you know, typically your rates are higher than that, you know, in-store purchases, whatever that may be. And so, uh, you know, with the interest rate environment that we're in, where interest rates are rising, you got to watch those, those, you know, variable rates out there that, that really affect you. And, uh, you know, you know, before the last break, Danny, you were talking about, you know, just kind of investing for, for all ages. And, you know, we, we um, talk with a lot of folks that are younger, you know, in their 20s, late 20s, early 30s, and uh, just, you know, always trying to make sure they're on track with things. And, you know, a lot of those conversations kind of sometimes revolve around debt and how to manage their debt or how to get ahead and, you know, how to manage their credit cards. And, you know, a lot of the folks that we work with, you know, they, they use credit cards in a very responsible manner. You, you use it once a month and then you, or you use it and then you pay it off at the end of the month. And it's a really good way where you can track and, and use it from a, from a budgetary standpoint. But, uh, you know, but, you know, the credit cards can be, if, if not handled correctly, and if you, if you don't have, you know, just parents talking with you right now, if you don't have education with your kids around credit cards and how to use them appropriately, you know, it could really be just, you could be setting up your, your, the youth for, for just disaster here. I mean, I remember when I was much younger, back in college, back in the day, and this was before the, the card act, Danny was, was passed in, mm -hmm. in 2009. But I mean, I remember in, in, when I was in school, in college, walking down the university center, and we were kind of like cattle coming through a chute and there would be people on either side of the hallway saying, Hey, you want a free t-shirt? And a college kid, sure, I'll, I'll take a free T-shirt. Yeah, I got a backpack, too. You want that? Sure. What do I need to do to get it? Here, just fill out this application. Oh, what's this Man, application for? You were getting T-shirts and backpacks. They are giving us pizzas. I mean, come on. Well, I mean, it's like, oh, I want a backpack. Yeah, I'll take it. What do I need to do for it? Uh, here, just fill out this application. Well, yeah. What is it? Oh, it's for a credit card. Oh, how does that work? Oh, you mean I can buy stuff and just pay it off later? All right, sounds good to me. And so, you, you know, and that could be the most costly pizza or t-shirt or backpack that you ever got. So uh, no, yeah. it, it can. And I saw a lot of buddies get out of control. You know, yeah. things. Oh, we're gonna go to spring break. We're gonna do this. And you know, the thing is, if you you get one of these credit cards and then you pay it down once or twice, they start raising your limits. And so one thing I thought I did the, when I was really young is I did I didn't want to fall in the same trap I saw some friends do. And so I said, hey, cut it off. And it was something like twelve hundred bucks. So if you really needed to do something, you probably couldn't. But it went a lot. Twelve hundred bucks went a lot further back then. Sure. And so. Um, you know, working a couple jobs, it wasn't as big of a deal. But I think that's one thing for, you know, younger folks to understand that maybe maybe just getting that bigger limit and it isn't always a good thing because you can get out of control just because you have access to it doesn't mean you should spend it. And we all want to be optimistic and think, hey, it's always going to get better. We're going to make more money, get a bonus. You know, we'll go ahead and put it on credit. And that's what they want you to do, which is really important and why the Credit Card Act of 2009 came about. You want to share a little bit about what that does to protect consumers or, or kids? In well, particular? for kids, you, you had to have a co-signer. I mean, if anybody was you know 18 or younger, or I think if you were younger than 21, you weren't able to apply for a credit card on your own. You had to have an adult or somebody that was at least 21 years old where you could actually you know, like actually co-sign on the application. So for, for kids that were pretty young, late, you know, in your late teenage years, you know, at that point, you could no longer really apply for a credit card, which, which, was, a, which, which was the right thing to do. 
right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But and that's that's the thing is that, you know, many people just bounce from card to card to card. And look, if you have some debt on there and it's taking a while to pay it off, if you can do that with zero percent interest, not a bad not a bad strategy. Now, it's a bad strategy if you just continue to do so and continue to use it, never really pay it down. Right. That's where, you know, I think a lot of households will get in trouble, and especially a lot of youth. And yeah, you got to look at the fine print on that, though, because if you make a transfer from one card to another card with a quote-unquote zero percent, there's probably a transaction fee for moving that balance over, and so you really don't net out positive in yeah, the that's, long run. Yeah, that's a good point, not yeah. to mention you, you do have, typically have a specific time frame of that balance being at that zero percent or whatever the incentive they're trying to get you over with but um you know so talking about a lot of different hacks and things that people have done in this environment we've we've talked about the gig economy where everybody has side jobs and are trying to do all they can create new businesses you know a lot of people take the liberty during the pandemic to say you know what take the job and shove it which is interesting when you know we think everybody should have been struggling it gave people that opportunity to do something a little bit different now one guy did something i thought that was pretty neat he has been renting out his pool. Now, you know, this, there's an article about this, which is, is kind of crazy because you think, like, you just he's probably praying after he did this that his insurance agent wasn't watching this or reading this because you talk about the liability aspect of it all. The attractive nuisance clause in the insurance where, yes, that's, that's, that is, there is called the attractive nuisance clause where you, 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 if you are the one on the street with the pool, you start attracting uh, the, the kiddos. Or, and they, yeah, so insurance premiums for sure, right? Yeah, I mean, you get the kids that are jumping in the pool while you're away. You can pull out. And yeah. Yeah, that that's probably does happen. But this guy, he is 57 years old. And so his side hustle was he built this pool back in 2012, um, spent a little bit of money on it, $110,000 back then, which would mean it'd probably be way more today. But he has, since September of 2020, started renting out his pool. Now, granted, you need to check with HOA and you know see what types of restrictions you may have. This guy doesn't have any, but he is he has entertained or hosted nine thousand swimmers since September of twenty twenty, and made a hundred and seventy seven thousand dollars in revenue. I mean, think about that. Now, sounds like a full time job because the guy says he's checking his pool multiple times each day. Um, he, you know, you got to really understand, you know, the the balance of. A pool chemicals, I, I would believe. But what does that look like with people coming in and out of your backyard? That's a lot of blue dye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to go put in a pool. I don't know. I don't have a pool right now. I, I don't want to take care of the maintenance. Could you imagine 9,000 swimmers? That's pretty impressive. That's that's a lot of people. They said they work 12 to 14 hours a week on it. Um but you know, like, where do you draw the line? Like, where does where do things get out of co- you know out of hand? But he he does. There's an app called Swimply that takes a 15% cut of each booking. That's how he books it. I don't know what if there's a marketing budget associated with, it, but they get about 26 visits per week. And you know, he does some nice things with it. Uh, you know, he he heats the pool when it's a little bit cooler. Um, he provides heated blankets. So, I mean, he's he's probably spending a little bit of money on, it. but seventy dollars per hour for five people, and then that that goes up if you have. Uh, Give additional guests so pretty cool side hustle though um a little different than driving the uber or, or renting the whole house out does it say what his real job is no i'm just curious how it works if does he allow multiple families to be in the pool at once I don't know, maybe it's like a networking thing hey brent how you doing down there yeah. good to see you again family reunion at the pool yeah 
But, you know, it's kind of neat. This this app, Swimply, they currently offer hosts up to $10,000 to cover the cost of damages sustained during a booking. So if the guests aren't willing to pay for it, they kind of give you a little bit of an insurance mm-hmm. policy. I can't imagine, though, what the insurance would be if, if you told your your insurance provider, like, hey, by the way, you know, we, do, we, do, we don't do short-term rentals for the house, but the pool, a little bit different. I imagine you'd have to have a pretty nice little uh, liability you know, disclaimer there. I would think so, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be underwater. Oh, man. You, so well done. You two with the dad jokes today. So well done. Well, you know, it's, you know, I mean, I, there's a gentleman I just spoke with about two weeks ago. Now he's not renting out his pool, but he, uh, he's, he's going around and cutting everybody's yards in the neighborhood for just, just, just to make a little bit of extra money because you know it's just a little bit of extra money in his pocket. Yeah, what's and, his rate? Uh, he he charges about maybe twenty or twenty five dollars a yard. That's a good rate, you know. Yeah. And wow. so and now, and one of the houses that he where he takes care of the yard, that house has a pool, and he said, you know, I won't charge you to cut your yard if you let me use your pool. And they worked out a deal. And so now he can, he and his family can come over there and swim in the backyard, but he cuts the guy's grass for free. Barter is alive and well. It is. It is. I'm seeing a lot more on like the neighborhood Facebook page of, of retired guys are saying, hey, you know, you need handyman help around the house. You want to hang a light fixture. You need, I mean, I've seen some that have pretty extensive resumes and they can do some pretty neat stuff. But uh, you know, you're seeing more and more of that where people are just saying, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to find a way to make a little money in this time and help people out, but you know, help, help the pocketbook as well. What's the craziest thing you've seen somebody rent? I mean, I think the pool's gotta be one of them for me. Yeah. I think that, I think that takes it for me too. I, I, that's a pretty, that's a great idea actually. It is. I don't think I'd have the uh, emotionally, I don't think I'd want to deal with that many people in my backyard. You know, I, I used to live on a corner. And I was like, I turned into the 80 year old man. I wanted like a potato launcher, just everybody <laughs> running the stop sign. And I had to move because it, it was stressful. It was, it was brutal. I'm like, I have kids, slow down. Um, in fact, when we moved, our neighbors put out like, they were so mad that we moved. They put out these signs all in their front yard, like kids, slow down. Um, you know, which people do need to slow down. People aren't looking at, they're looking at their phone. But interested to know what y'all's um, craziest side hustle you have seen. Go to the YouTube channel. Let us know. Um, the pool rental is pretty neat. That liability's got to be nuts, and then the security aspect is is pretty crazy. But so we're talking about some of these different ideas and things that you can do. You know, a lot of people are retiring early, and there is something that we're beginning to see a lot more people utilize, and that's the seventy-two T, John. Mm-hmm. And so there is a rule within the the IRS will allow you to retire prior to 59 and a half and tap those retirement funds. And so I want to talk a little bit about that and what that means, what that looks like for you guys, as far as if, if you are thinking about retiring early and some of the pitfalls that could be associated with that as well. You know, also you sent me a really, you had, a, you were talking to somebody, I think that said, you know, they, they don't plan to retire. Right. What does that look like if you don't plan to retire and saying, well, I don't need to worry about a retirement account. I mean, that sounds great, but how many people actually retire earlier than they think they were? And you have life gets in the way, right? Unforeseen changes. Um, you know, I think that could be be an issue as well. So a lot of retirement tips we're going to get to here. Um, but, you know, talking about things that people do. And, and you know, we've, we've talked about how green energy and recycling and all these things have been so great. And I know we've, we talked a little bit about Wednesday that, 
air conditioning and and you know now they're coming out saying that beer is is good in hot weather there's a new brew beer in singapore that is made from get this brent recycled sewage water (laughs) and would you drink that well i don't drink beer anyway i certainly wouldn't drink that is that called natural light is that what they (laughs) i don't know anything light about it natural dark (laughs) hey but it works with reverse osmosis ultraviolet disinfection yeah reverse this ensuring purity i i don't think i could stomach that but anyways we'll get we'll be right back you're listening to the real investment show thanks for joining us this friday morning we'll be right back after this quick break Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment. Show. Welcome back to the Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff here with John Penn, Financial Fitness Friday. Market futures a little bit mixed at the moment. Yields like look like they're they're going to open up a little bit down as well. So. Talking about retirement, you know, I think that there's so many different avenues and we're seeing people make changes quickly. And one thing that we're beginning to see more and more people utilize as some people are retiring early is Mm -hmm. 72T. And so what 72T essentially is, is that you can take substantial and equal payments. So it's basically a payment plan that you pay yourself out of an IRA, a 401k, an annuity, and it has to be similar payments throughout the, the time frame. And so you either have to until you're 59 and a half or five years, whichever, whichever is later, make these payments. Now, there's some pros to it. Pros, I think, are, you know, hey, you need to recreate that paycheck. You, you know, obviously want to pull some funds out of the retirement account to, to live on, ideally. Um, the cons are if you screw it up or you take too much money out, you're going to have that, that penalty. So that 72T will allow you to get around the 10% penalty for taking funds out prior to 59 and a half. That's right. Uh, so which is a, a ni- nice thing to be able to do. Now, you're still going to pay taxes on it. So those funds are, will still be taxable. So you need to understand that you do need to withhold taxes so you don't get caught up in the following year with some, some penalties potentially and then having to you know, make quarterlies if you're not doing that already. Um, so the, those cons, though, can be that you, ha- you do it from one account and, you know, if you're doing it from one account, you start, if you have an unexpected event occur and you need to take more money out, if you don't have other areas that you could pull from, that could become an issue and that could just disrupt the whole thing and screw up the whole plan. And so we, we caution people when you utilize this type of strategy that maybe you want to separate some of the accounts. You want to make sure you have assets in other areas that you can pull from. God forbid the, the AC goes out, especially in this weather. Um, you know, something else happens, a car breaks down, whatever it may be. Lose, you know, maybe you have a side gig that was helping supplement some income. You can't do that. So 
This is something, though, John, that I think we're going to continue to see more of as people are beginning to shift their mindset as far as, you know, what's important to them. I think so, too. You know, I, I think more and more folks are looking for a way to create a some sort of a steady stream of income um, or to somewhat, especially if you've if you've retired or maybe you're going to be you're retiring sooner than you expected, uh, uh, trying to find a way to recreate that that paycheck or just to have a regular stream of income coming in on a recurring basis. Because when if you do retire early or if you work less or you retire altogether, you know, it's it's you kind of get accustomed to that regular check coming in, whether if it's every two weeks, every month, every quarter, depending on how you get paid. It's like, well, I know I can pay for this expense this month because I know I'm going to get paid, you know, X amount of dollars at a certain date here in the future. So I feel pretty comfortable about this. But when you have to solely rely on pulling from the portfolio altogether, that's a completely different mindset. And so we are having more conversations around, you know, you know, and I hate to say it, it's kind of a four-letter word, not really, but kind of around annuities. And do they fit within somebody's overall financial plan or overall financial picture? We approach that in a very fiduciary manner. It's not that everybody gets an annuity. It's just if it works, if it makes sense, we'll, we'll look at it. But the uh, the 72T that you were talking about, Danny, those uh, substantial equal payments, it is a way where you can set up you know, kind of a regular uh, schedule of withdrawals from your traditional IRA. And if you're younger than 59 and a half, you avoid paying the 10% penalty. Um, but you do need to take those substantial equal payments for at least five years or until you turn 59 and a half, whichever is later. Uh, and to your point, if, if that is a structure that you put in place, you want to kind of keep those assets separate because those assets that are providing the calculation for that 72T, there's a base there that you kind of need to keep intact. So if you're it's good to have some money offset off to the side so that way if life does throw you a curveball, you, you can pull money from that account instead. Yep, yep, absolutely. And so certainly a strategy to to look at if you haven't thought about it before, if you've retired early, something happens, um, you know, maybe life gets in the way. I mean, mm-hmm. we saw a lot of people lose their jobs during the pandemic, thought they'd get right back into it, and then decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to cut my spending. I'm going to find another way here. And this is one way we're seeing people tap their funds now. But what do you say to somebody who says, I don't need a retirement account. I don't need to worry about this because I'm never going to retire. Yeah, sometimes. And sometimes through somebody's employment, they don't have a, you know, their employer doesn't offer a, a small business retirement plan. There is no 401k. There is no SEP IRA. There is no formal, quote unquote, retirement savings vehicle. It's like, well, I really don't have something available to me, so do I even really need to be concerned about setting money aside in the first place? And the answer still is yes, absolutely. So you know, you can still look at things depending upon what your income is. You know, just making a contribution maybe to a regular IRA, or depending on what your level of income is, look at the Roth. You know, put money off to the side, yeah. or just put money into a regular savings account, just a regular brokerage account, and have that money grow up. You know, have that money grow off to the side over time. But uh, to not have a retirement account or not have some sort of savings as we age and move forward, to me, just doesn't really sound like a plan at all. No, because I think that, you know, the, the pandemic did show us that we, we think that we make these great plans. We lay these out and, you know, they, they always say you make plans and God laughs. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, OK, you thought this was going to happen. No, that's not what's in store for you. And it, it sounds great if you think. But I think a lot of people take this strategy, John, because they feel like they don't have any other options. I mean, they feel like this is the only way I'm going to go because I'm going to work forever. We see these big numbers that everybody says, what's your number? What do you need to retire? And that's where people get in trouble because they say, well, instead of just chipping away little by little by little and seeing that growth over time, they just say, forget it. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, if, 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 if 
you know, if, if you sit down with a financial planner or if you're just looking at some online calculators, <clears throat> excuse me, and you see that you need to have, you know, this huge number in order to retire, to your point, Danny, it can become very overwhelming where you go, wow, you know, is it even worth? I mean, I'll, am I ever going to be able to accumulate that? But then to your point, just little steps that you can take now, just a little bit of money that you can set aside off every month or every week or every quarter, just depending on your budget and your paycheck, it just adds up over time. You know, we talk a lot about financial planning. Obviously, it is Financial Fitness Friday. But I think one thing that can be really helpful, and this is going a little bit differently, you know, one, if you look at a plan and you do have a financial plan, update it at least annually Mm -hmm. and take a snapshot of it. And that way you can come back to it. I even like putting the pen to pad and then saying, okay, hey, this is this is what the net worth was. This is what expenses were, liabilities were this year. Here's what they are the following year. And hope that each and every year it's getting a little bit better. And I think putting it down on paper gives you different perspective on it and understanding of, okay, I'm actually doing a little bit better each and every year. Now, you're going to have a down year with markets. Those things are going to occur. But if you're in a, the accumulation phase, hopefully it's not going to impact you nearly as much as you know if you're in a distribution phase and you're already retired. So as you're thinking about meeting those lofty goals, you know, we always talk about Rome wasn't built in a day. It's little by little each and every day. But um, so, John, you've been getting some questions recently about differences between mutual funds and ETFs. Yeah. And, and so what is that mainly around? Just the basics of it, understanding the concepts of it. I know most of you guys out there probably do have some understanding, but there's a lot of people just don't ask the question that think the same thing. Yeah. So it's... Between a mutual fund and an ETF or an exchange-traded fund, um, they're both a, what I like to think of, they're, they're both a bucket, right? Like a regular mutual fund, you put your money into the bucket, the money gets you know, diversified into holdings within the mutual fund itself. And uh, it's just you know, how mutual funds trade versus how an exchange-traded fund trades, you know, it's, it's different. So if you, if you go to sell your mutual fund, you, you are redeeming your shares back to the mutual fund company. The challenge with the mutual fund is that you don't know what your price per share or the net asset value of that mutual fund is going to be until after the market closes. So you could have a day where maybe the market opens, maybe your, the futures are implied to open up you know, 400 points. You say, hey, this is a great day. I think I want to trim back my exposure to, to my mutual fund here. Maybe you have a mutual fund that invests in, in individual stocks. You say, I want, to, I want to trim back my exposure, maybe take some profits today. Markets are up 400 points. And you, you, you put your order in to sell. Well, your mutual fund's not going to sell until after the market closes. And by the end of the day, the market might be down two or 300 points. Right? So, you, it, you know, it, and I'm not bashing mutual funds here. A lot of people use them. They work very well. You know, most of the time in our retirement plans, 401k plans, 457s, 403bs, you name it, you know, that's what you have to use in there. You usually have a menu of mutual funds that you can select from to build out your portfolio. Um, so they just, but they just, trade or they, the, 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 the buys and sells for mutual funds transact after market close. An exchange-traded fund, hence the name fund, it's, it's a bucket, it's a basket. You can put your money, you buy shares of the exchange-traded fund, but hence the name exchange-traded, it trades on the exchange live during the day, you know, like, like a stock. So when you buy shares of the exchange-traded fund, assuming that there's a seller on the other side of that trade, you, you, whenever you buy that exchange-traded fund, you know right then and there that the price you paid. Or if you decide to sell that exchange-traded fund, you know right then and there that the, the money that you received from, from the sell. So they're, they're just a little bit more liquid. Yeah, and, and so sometimes, depending on the, 
on your situation and what you're trying to accomplish with your investing goals. You know, sometimes an exchange-traded fund or a portfolio of exchange-traded funds might be more advantageous or you know, nothing against mutual funds. They work very well. It just really kind of depends the, the type of account that you have and, and what your investment options are. But sometimes when you know, even I'm talking about different portfolio strategies and I, and I ask the client, hey, you know, it looks like you own a portfolio of exchange-traded funds. Do you know what those are? And most of the time, I hear no. Nobody's ever explained this to me. Really? Well, and I think those are really good points you just brought up of the difference between a mutual fund and that ETF. And so exchange-traded funds or ETFs are typically, they're, they're not traded or actively managed like the mutual fund would be. So they could be a little bit more tax efficient in that aspect. Also, you mentioned you tr- they trade during the day, so you could have sold yesterday morning, bought back when the market dropped, and sold it again at the close. And you know people can trade those much more frequently. Not that we're advocating for that, right? But the other aspect is understanding the cost of all these different types of options. I mean, mutual funds historically are going to have higher fees than an right. ETF, and so we do like you know prefer ETFs over mutual funds as investing within our own portfolios for just that matter. Not to say we won't use mutual funds; we have here and there, but uh-huh. you know currently um, we don't we don't have any. But no, great points, John. Uh, guys, if you have any questions, go to realinvestmentadvice.com. You can go to the Ask a Question tab. Go to the YouTube channel. Uh, thank, every, thank you guys for joining us. Don't forget, August 4th, next, not this next Thursday, the Thursday after that, we're going to do Inflation Nation. Go sign up at realinvestmentadvice.com under the Events tab. Thanks for joining us. Everybody have a great weekend. Y'all stay cool out there. It's a rich man's world.